If you are a Christian coach, speaker, or influencer, this is the right place. You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for biblical encouragement, spirit-led wisdom, and practical ideas as you answer God's calling to increase your authority by becoming an author. I'm Nika Maples, and I can help you write your next book so that you can take your business to the next level while advancing the kingdom and transforming people in Jesus' name. You are an anointed and appointed writer, and you've been prepared and positioned for such a time as this. Maybe God is encouraging you to write down your life story. You can call it a memoir. You can call it an autobiography. You can even just put it in the category of Christian lifestyle, which is the category I choose for many of my books. And maybe you'll be incorporating life experiences and lessons that you have walked through with the Lord and what he's taught you along the way. You'll be incorporating scriptures and concepts and insights that only came about because of what you've experienced In order to help you see a vision of what your memoir can be, I am sharing an excerpt from my memoir today. It's called 12 Clean Pages, and it was the first book that I ever wrote, published in December of 2011. It was self-published, and I'm so glad that I made that decision. It paved the way for traditional publishing later. But today I'm sharing with you the prologue of 12 clean pages. My maternal grandfather drove a bootleg liquor truck when he was 16 years old. As one might expect, he garnered many friends as he rocked along Georgia's winding roads, his prohibited cargo jostling under ropes and a tarpaulin in the rusty truck bed. They called him only by his surname, Cotton. Sometimes I wonder if he thought of his mother, Maybe he remembered her hands as he drove on bright days, windows rolled down, the southern sun freckling his arms. The same rays that smiled on him had bitten mercilessly into his mother's flesh. Every day, deep auburn blisters bore into her hands, corroding the skin on her fingers. Lesions continued to spread onto her arms and sun-sensitive face until misery kept her in the shadows. Her tongue swelled, filling her mouth. It was dementia that turned the last lock on her desolation. Already imprisoned inside a wasting body, she spent her final days in a mental institution. Pellagra, a cruel illness that swept the South at the turn of the century, had jimmied the back door of her house like an insidious intruder. She, nor anyone else, could secure the area. Pellagra continued creeping into home after humble home, harassing town after tormented town. An estimated three million Southerners developed the disease between 1907 and 1940, and 100,000 died. Over time, scientists connected pellagra with the corn-based diet of those living in poverty. Dr. Joseph Goldberger conducted experiments on volunteer inmates in Mississippi prisons to prove his revolutionary theory that pellagra was merely a dietary deficiency, not a bacterial infection. The idea was so simple that some people were hard-pressed to believe it, but the evidence spread out like a clean tablecloth. When fresh meat, vegetables, and milk were introduced into their diets, patients soon recovered. 
In fact, the deficiency could be reduced to one particular vitamin. Word spread quickly. This mysterious and sometimes terminal illness could be cured with adequate doses of niacin, vitamin B3. The news was too late for my grandmother. In the year of that landmark medical discovery, the family received a telegram announcing her death. Her husband succumbed to a heart attack a few years later, leaving my grandfather entirely responsible for himself in his early teens. Determination and a mere eighth-grade education were his only possessions. With funeral tears still fresh on his face, he formulated a plan. He knew he must transport liquor during Prohibition in order to stay alive, alone. My paternal grandfather grew up in Texas. His middle name, Freeman, was an almost fairy tale nomenclature for a boy who led the unfettered life of a hobo in the early 1900s. As a 16-year-old runaway with only a 7th grade education, he jumped trains from North Texas to New Mexico and back to Texas again, working ranches, digging wells, and sleeping in rickety boxcars along the way. His shoulders became stronger than the rails he rode. He had left home suddenly. His mother had died in the flu epidemic of 1918. Then his father remarried. This new wife treated my grandfather harshly at times, commanding him to fetch logs for the fire and using the very wood he brought to whack his legs. His father, a blacksmith, also heaped a myriad of cruelties on him. One day he asked my young grandfather to pick up a horseshoe just moments off the anvil. Men from town, accustomed to leaning against the walls of the shop to swap full-bellied stories, cackled at the boy's gullibility. He dropped the hot horseshoe from his burned hand and looked up in time to catch his father laughing. My grandfather's skin may have been seared, but not as acutely as his heart. The next morning, he told his family that he was walking to the service station to hitch a ride into town. Instead, he hitched a ride as far as he could go, alone. Both of my grandfathers learned the depth of the valley. As adolescents, they walked through the single pain that every child fears. They were alone. Both men would warn you with solemn tenor that calamity is no respecter of age. They trudged onward, but their early disappointment did not make for gentle terrain. Life's landscape held tragedy, sudden and wild. Each tenacious step took courage, and so it is with us. Our mornings and evenings are a repetitive and intimate dialogue that invites us to hope, to bring our whole hearts to the table, to devour another day. But just when we begin to enjoy the breakfast conversation, life pushes back in his chair and comes across the table for our innocent throats. He tackles us to the floor, sometimes with such force that we hesitate to pull ourselves up, lest he subdue us again. After such a blow, it seems impossible to move forward. From that moment, we struggle to convince ourselves that mourning is a holy invitation to live better, to breathe more deeply than yesterday, in spite of yesterday, maybe even because of it. My brother uses an apt label for people who have survived some great hammering blow of trauma or distress. He calls them the initiated. He suggests that the initiated can always communicate most easily with their kind. The language of loss is common, although the actual events surrounding each moment of devastation may not be. One who has faced initiation often refers to his life as a timeline. 
on which the chronology seems to extend in opposite directions from a central, shattering event. There were the experiences that took place before, and there are the experiences that have taken place since the initiation. The initiated can speak to one another intimately because they come from the same place. They've learned to operate from new priorities, new motivations, new perspectives. Disillusionment has made a completely new person out of each of them. Wherever they were born originally, now they hail from harsh countryside, and traveling its stone-sharp valleys has yielded too many wounds to count. The initiated recognize one another as fellow expatriates. They have been cut deeply, and deep calls to deep. Yet, how breathtaking the realization. One who has experienced a hollowing heart wound possesses an increased capacity for joy. Those who have not been hurt can merely cup joy in their hands. The inner well is only so deep. By contrast, the initiated know a great deal of pain and as a result, a great deal of joy. It's almost as if they've been carved out. They don't just cup a hand to receive joy. Their entire being becomes a vessel, a fresh beauty born of life's brutality, able to feel, to receive more. What is merely ladled for others is pitcher poured into them. This is not because they have earned more joy, but because they are thirstier for it. Two men fall to their knees at the edge of a river. One has crossed a lush hill country, the other a scorching desert. Both desire the cool water's refreshment, but only one drinks with his soul. Are you someone who has been initiated? Then your memoir or life story or autobiography might be the perfect thing to comfort those who have been through something similar to you. The rest of my memoir goes on to explain how I was affected by a diagnosis of lupus when I was 12 years old and following chemotherapy when I was in high school and then a massive brainstem stroke when I was 20 years old. But you don't have to have gone through something as traumatic as that. Simple life experiences are where God shows up most often. So what were the events that taught you who God was? I promise there are people out there who need to see in their ordinary daily life events where God is moving on their behalf. If you will just trust that your story is important because God is the hero of your story, then you will be able to write it down in such a way that it will have miraculous impact for your readers. But here's the thing. Readers will always feel what you feel meaning what you are feeling while you're writing it, is what they will feel while they're reading it. So if you think, well, I don't think this story is very important. I don't think I have a lot to say. Guess what? Your readers will then read your book with that same mentality. They'll think, I don't think this story is very important. And I don't really think she has a lot to say to me. It's hard to hear, but true. If you want to make a maximum impact on your readers, you have to decide what you want them to believe on the other side of your published book, even before it is written. And then you start thinking those thoughts. So I knew that I wanted my readers to think, 
this story has changed my life. I feel so much more faith because I read this story. So before I began writing the story, I thought to myself, this story is a life-changing story. I have so much faith that people are going to want to read it. My belief translated across the page to my reader's heart. I don't know how it happens. It's not mystical or magical, but I do believe there's a supernatural connection between the assignment that you have been given by God and the people that you have been sent to serve. When you trust that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and directing your steps and directing your keyboard as you go, then you will not be surprised when the people on the other side of the page feel his touch. Start praying for your readers now. Start picturing them in your mind now. Start believing that they're waiting anxiously, eagerly, with joy for your book. There's no pressure, but there is delight. Let that delight propel you to write down your story today. If you'd like a copy of my memoir, 12 Clean Pages, it's available anywhere books are sold online. And if you'd like to work with me as your book coach, reach out to me on social media. I have a great workshop that is perfect to get you started. It's called the Bless Your Book Workshop. People who've been through the Bless Your Book Workshop gain so much growth as a writer in just five short days. In that one hour training for five days each, you will become the author that you have always wanted to be because becoming an author starts in our mind. You're going to learn how to bless your content on Monday. You'll learn how to bless your income on Tuesday. You'll learn how to bless your publisher on Wednesday and then bless your audience on Thursday. And finally, you'll learn how to bless yourself on Friday. It's a total breakthrough in one simple package. Join the Bless Your Book Workshop today. Are you subscribed to my YouTube channel yet? I love creating weekly lessons that will bring value and insight to you on your writing, publishing, and book marketing journey. When you listen to my podcast, you learn through your ears. But when you watch my YouTube channel, you learn through your eyes and your ears, making double the impact in half the time. See you over on YouTube.